On with the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast, and I'm, of course, one half of your dynamic duo, the nerds. I'm the nerd, and my dynamic duo partner is not on assignment today because we have a special guest. And today is Joseph Holmes, and he has a great story to tell. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a heartbreaker. It might, and I want you guys to go get your tissues ready because this one is a tearjerker, and we are not known for making people cry, but today you might shed a tear or two because this man has a great story to tell and it's an inspirational story it's something that will make you think about your own personal life and your choices in life without further ado joseph holmes how you doing my friend and thank you for joining the show hi there thank you for having me well thank you for coming on the show i'm very happy to have you on here and you have a very interesting story to tell so i just kind of want to get into it but before we do i want to say thank you and i want you to give a little bit of background on yourself well, I'm a uh, survivor of uh, childhood sexual, physical, emotional abuse, and I'm also a um, PTSD disabled combat veteran uh, from the Vietnam War. Thank you for your and, service. Yeah, and um, everything was going great until about 1990. Then I had a, a nervous breakdown, uh, a severe one where I couldn't work for about a year. I have, I live on a five acre, I have a five acre homestead here in, in Southern California. And for the, for the next year, I just, uh, you know, worked the land. That's, that was my therapy. And, uh, but that's also when uh, most of my angel stories, uh, my visions of uh, uh, Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene. And I should say, when I talk about Mary Magdalene and, Mary, and Mother Mary, it's in no religious connotation whatsoever. These are spiritual angels, and uh, they come they come to me anyway, without any uh, religious dogma or doctrine. And uh, in fact, Mary Magdalene's uh, universal message um, is uh, unconditional love. So, why did they choose you? Well, I get that uh, question often, but I, I don't think it's a matter of choosing. Um, I believe our angels are all around us, and it's a matter of us being receptive. And so rather than just being chosen, it's just that um, uh, I'm receptive. And and it just didn't happen. <laughs> you know, I, it just, I just didn't wake up one day and say, well, you know, I'm going to be receptive. I'm going to hear my angels. Uh, didn't happen that way. When I was seven years old, uh, uh, we would go and visit my grandparents over in the Phoenix area, Arizona. And uh, on the way home, um, we would always take a, a side trip. And when I was seven, um, our my parents decided to take a side trip to Nogales, Arizona. And, uh, you know, for a seven-year-old, uh, they, they wanted to go because they wanted to go across the border to the dog races. And... As a seven-year-old, I just thought it was cool because Nogales, Arizona, 
the town right across the border was also named Nogales. So I just thought that was a cool thing. But anyway, uh, we rolled into Nogales, Arizona, uh, late at night. We went straight to bed. And the next morning, uh, I had two brothers and, my, and both my parents. They were up already, uh, getting ready to walk over the breakfast. And I was still lying in bed. And I was lying there, and at the time, I didn't know what it was, but I now I describe it as a wave of grace. And okay. at the time, it just felt really good, felt really peaceful. But this wave of grace entered my the crown of my head and passed through my body and out my feet. Nothing like that had ever happened to me before. Or, uh, I didn't know what it was. I wasn't scared, though, because it felt so good. But I didn't tell anybody about it. And anyway, uh, so, you know, everybody's yelling at me to get up. So I get up and we're walking over the breakfast and we're waiting on the street corner, waiting for the light to turn green so we can cross the street. And it happened again to me. And uh, so that's when it actually started. But I didn't know it was my angels. Uh, but looking back now, I can connect the dots. And so, in you know, fast forward, in 1988, I'd met a man, uh, Reverend John Lawrence. Uh, some people know of him. Uh, sure. He's, pa he's passed away now, but he invited me over to his home. Uh, and he was in his 90s at the time. And it was a Sunday. So I, I went over. I wanted to to get to know him better and um, he he wanted to meditate so we had a coffee table between us and uh, we were facing each other so each of us on on the other side of the coffee table we began meditating and uh, during the meditation his foot kicked the leg of the coffee table and you know he was in his 90s so I didn't want to interrupt the meditation, but I wanted to make sure he was okay. So I just, you know, slightly opened my eyes. And what I saw was that he was looking above my head with his eyes just wide, like, you know, when somebody sees a ghost in the movie, right? Their eyes get really... Yeah. That's yeah. how he looked. And anyway, he was okay. So I just closed my eyes and continued meditating. Then afterwards, uh, you know... Uh, we had something to eat and, and chatted for a while. And it was time for me to go. And he excused himself and he came back. And he gave me uh, a present. And it was a crucifix. And he said, I want you to have this. Uh, this is what I saw hovering above your head. Now, the crucifix, you know, I'm not religious. So... I didn't really, and he's not, he wasn't religious either. He was a spiritual minister. And so I didn't quite know uh, what to make of it, but, you know, it was a beautiful gift. So uh, I thanked him and I left and I went up to get into my car. And you know how you get in your car and you close the door? Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> well, that's what I did. But when I closed the door, I heard this bam. Mm -hmm. And my car was encased in a bubble of white light. Now, 
I can't tell you how I got home. I don't remember. But it felt as if the car was three feet off the ground. But when I got home, I sat down to eat. And I took a fork of food and I brought it to my mouth and I couldn't get it closer than about 10 or 12 inches from my mouth. The vibration of the white light was so uh, different from the vibration of the food mm-hmm. that I couldn't take the food. So it lasted for a week. So I didn't eat for a week. And um, I did take juices. I could take, I couldn't take bottle juices. I could take freshly made juices and I had to take them through a straw at the side of my mouth. Uh, it was like one opening in the bubble that I could get through. But anyway, so I, I existed on fresh juices for that week. And that kind of set the stage. Um, and then a few, uh, that was 1988. So a few years later, I was in this workshop this one-week workshop. It started on a Sunday, and uh, on a Wednesday evening, we were, uh, they were planning to do some breath work. Uh, for your listeners who aren't familiar with that, breath work is just where you you spend time doing some very deep breathing. Um, but anyway, um, we were doing some breath work, and during the course of the the lights were out. There was maybe 12, 15 of us uh, lying on our backs in the room. And I saw this pair of eyes above me, and I thought they were my mother's eyes because she had passed away a couple of years earlier, but I couldn't tell for sure. And anyway, uh, after a while, the facilitator said, okay, we're going to turn the lights on in about 10 minutes, so we'll start preparing to, to you know, uh, come out of uh, the deep breathing. And mm-hmm. when the facilitator said that, the eyes expanded, and it was Mother Mary. And she just, for those 10 minutes, she just beamed me with beams of gold and white light. And uh, again, this was, you know, I come a complete surprise to me. I wasn't uh, expecting anything, you know. Uh, I was just, first time I had done any deep breathing at all. And anyway, uh, I wasn't aware of what she, why she was doing that, but then two nights later, I had an out-of-body experience where I was taken into these, um, I call them light regions, uh, because they made the white light, that one week of white light I had been in in 1988, it made that look like kindergarten stuff. I mean, these were regions of light that were just so rarefied and I stayed, I stayed in that state for five solid months there. Five months? I couldn't, I couldn't work. I couldn't, uh, you know, I'm a, kind of, I'm a kind of quiet, laid-back guy. And I'd be in the supermarket just with, without any warning. I just burst out with this joyful laughter, this giggling, you know. And people would stop and stare at me. And... 
I was telling this to a Catholic one time <laughs> because, oh, you know, we have these experiences and we don't always have the syntax to explain them. But so I was telling this to a, a Catholic friend of mine. And he said, oh, yeah, you were in a state of rapture. And I thought, well, OK, that's a good word to use. So, OK, I was in a state of rapture for five solid months. <laughs> and uh, and then I came out of it. Uh, but then. Uh, you know, I didn't ask for these experiences. They were complete surprises to me. But to answer your question, I, I think I've always I've always had an open mind. You know, I've, I've never my mind's never been closed to things. I mean, if uh, you know, I listen to somebody and I'll listen to a story, and uh, you know, if it sounds reasonable, you know, uh, I can adapt to it and. So I've always had that kind of open mind. Uh, and so to answer your question, I think that's, it's not a matter that I was chosen. It's yeah. just a matter that I've had an open mind. And uh, and that has allowed me to have these experiences, one building on the other, uh, until 19, oh, well, that was 19, yeah, I get these dates. <laughs> no. uh, so in 2000 and- blend together after a certain time. <laughs> 2000 and- uh, I think it was 2003. Okay. Uh, somebody told me that they were doing a, a breathwork uh, workshop at the Mission San Luis Rey in Oceanside, California. It's one of the 21 California missions. And, yeah. and that, that mission is uh, associated with Mother Mary. And so I thought, well, okay, uh, maybe I'll take uh, I'll take this workshop and I'll have another vision of Mother Mary. So that, that was my reason for taking it, no other reason. Um, so I announced to my uh, class, uh, I had a dojo at the time, and I announced to my class that there wouldn't be any classes tomorrow, Saturday, uh, because I was taking a workshop. And that's all I said. So everybody's gone, and I'm locking up the dojo, and uh, one of the parents happens to come up, and she says, why are you taking the workshop? And there, I, without thinking, just out of my mouth came, oh, to meet Mary Magdalene. <laughs> and I'm, I'm driving home, and I remember thinking, Mary Magdalene, why? I don't have any interest in Mary Magdalene. <laughs> Yeah. Why did I say that? But it just blurted out of my mouth. So, well, anyway, the next morning, right, it's 8 a.m. in the morning, and the facilitator wants to do some breath work. And, you know, my ego. Sure. Of course. You know, the ego always gets in the way, right? My, my so. ego says to me, okay, this is not going to work. If you're going to see Mother Mary, it's got to be the same, the similar setting as before, which was at nighttime with the lights out and everything, right? He says, and we're lying down. Originally, we were lying down on our backs. He says, well, let's do some breath work, and we're going to do it with the lights on and sitting up in the chairs. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, man, this isn't going to work. So I'm kind of bummed out. But, you know, I go along. Sure. And then, so anyway, we're doing some breath work in the chairs, and at the doorway, Mother Mary, 
her head pops out at the doorway. And people ask me, well, what do you mean? Did you see? They're kind of like in semi-physical form. And so I see them, but they're not like solid, right? And anyway, her head pops out the door. And again, we don't have the syntax for a lot of this, but she, she kind of just uh, like right in front of me. Sure. Like she's flying, right? It was like a board. Yeah, and with her is Mary Magdalene. And they have these long black capes on. And I'm thinking, why do they have black capes on? Which she answers a few years later. But at the time, I'm just thinking, okay. And they're, they're having fun with me. And they're circling me and, and wrapping me in this, these black capes and giggling and laughing. And, and then Mother Mary says, okay, I want you to lie down on the floor. And I'm thinking, nobody's lying on the floor. I can't lie on the floor. And just as she said that, the facilitator says, okay, everybody to the floor. So I lie down on the floor in my back. My head is in Mary, Mother Mary's lap, and Mary Magdalene is hovering above me. And she slowly comes and enters my body. And that's where the healing began regarding my molestations. And she didn't heal me completely because that's another matter. But uh, what she did do, she healed me to the point where I could begin talking about my molestations, Mm. which is a very important part of the healing process is when you can start talking about them. And I was in my 40s at the time, and I had never told anyone about my molestations. So mm-hmm. this, was a, this was a big turning point for me. But anyway, so, uh, you know, um, they left. And then Mary Magdalene, from that point on, which was around 2003, uh, Mary Magdalene would visit me every so often. But then in December of 2012, she woke me up at two in the morning. She had me go to my writing desk and sit down with a pen and paper. And then she started dictating this quatrain poetry, four stand, quatrain, four stands of poetry. Okay. Just one after the other, one after the other. And uh, she's been doing that every morning since. Every morning. Hasn't skipped a morning since 2012. And now, since December of last year, she stopped the quatrain poetry, and now she does long poems. So I just sit down. I have no idea. In fact, some mornings I wake up and I, I think, you know, you know I, I don't think she has anything to say. I'm going to stay in bed right <laughs> <laughs> and you know okay then i start feeling guilty right <laughs> okay oh, yeah, so i so i get up and i go make a cup of coffee and then i sit down and, and it just comes out and i and i can't tell you what i write as as i'm writing it it's just coming out and then i have to go back and read it you know to see what she actually sure. uh, wrote uh but that's a long answer to your question about why me it's, it's, I, it's, it's not about being chosen. Anybody, I believe, anybody can uh, be receptive uh, to their oh, angels. All, angels are always speaking to you through your heart. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, our ego, our egos control most people. And ego, E-G-O, is an acronym for edging God out. And God, you know, if you don't want to use the word God, use whatever you want. But edging God out and edging your angels out, whatever you want to, edging source out, uh, you know, whatever you want to use. But the ego wants to stay in control. So the ego's job is to keep you out of your heart. And most people stay out of the heart. You know, most people are very reactive uh, to situations. And, um, you know, and and they, you know, think about it. When you go to bed at night, when you wake up in the morning, your ego's just chattering away, you know, nonstop, just chattering away. And as long as you're listening to that chatter, that endless chatter, you're not in your heart. Oh, absolutely. And my and my thing is this is because like there are so many people out there that have this belief and that they believe that things are out there. There's existential things out there and beings that are looking out for them and things like that. But there's also something called medication that brings them back to ground zero. So my question to you is this is like what happens to the people that have that genuine belief in these things and that they might think that they're crazy and they might seek some sort of uh, like outside interference that might provide them medication that that suppresses sure. the thoughts that they have in their minds. What happens to them? Are they still allowed into the next astral sure. plane of life? Or sure, whatever? sure. I mean, uh, I, I I have therapy. I go to therapy uh, for my PTSD. But my question uh, to you is, are you trying to downplay it or are you trying to reinforce it? No, I think everybody has to. Everybody has to follow their path. Okay. There's no one right way. There's no wrong way. I mean, I didn't. I didn't seek therapy uh, until, you know, maybe it was five years ago. Sure. Uh, that I sought therapy, and um, but you have. I've gone through three therapists, and I'll tell you why. Because I tell my story to the therapist. And two of the therapists wanted to diagnose me, wanted to label me. And that was the end of that. And then the third therapist, after I told her my story, she said, well, you know, I don't tell people this, but because of your story, let me tell you my story. She said she was at a retreat in the desert, uh, not a nothing to do with religion or anything, just uh, uh, for her uh, professional retreat. And she said she and some colleagues were walking through the gardens, and she saw Mother Mary, and she said Mother Mary. The other people could not see her, but they smelled her essence, and her essence was essence of a rose. And there were no roses in the garden. So, so you see, if you're going to go to therapy, you got to get the therapist that believes <laughs> and and. Sure. You know, your story that believes in your story and, and not a therapist who just wants to label you, medicate you. 
There's yeah. just a grand design when it comes yeah, right. to right. Now, now, I want to say there are sure. situations where medication is helpful. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, uh, yeah. medicine has its place. Uh -huh. um, but for me, I've never taken medicine. And, uh, and I, I don't use the therapy as a substitute for uh, my work with Mary Magdalene. I mean, uh, I, I went, I've sought therapy for my PTSD, uh, not because Mary Magdalene talks to me. <laughs> you know, you got to remember what psychiatry is, right? Psychiatry yep. is, is, is based on a theory. You know, and it has a very, it's lowly regarded among medical professionals. And it's, it's based on a theory and it's a, it's a, uh, it's a modality that says, you know, when you pray, you're prayerful, but you know, when God talks to you, you're psychotic. Now, how, how do you rationalize something like that? A therapist uh, will tell you, okay, you're prayerful, good, pray, you know, talk to God. But if God's talking to you, now, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know. So, what? That's a hell of a thought. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. That doesn't make any sense, right? But, but remember, uh, a lot of therapists, you know, they just want to medicate. Yeah, you know. well, because that's where the money lies, and and that's, that's where the money is, and that's easy. That's the easy approach. Well, that's a hell of a thought you have there, because like yeah. some people are looking for enlightenment in most places that they can't find it, and they're just looking for an answer. And my question to you is this: because like God is such a large spectrum of things, because like you have to think about God, and if you're a Christian, you know what your God is. If you're a Catholic, you know what your God is. If you're a Jewish, you know what your God is. If you're a Buddhist, you know what your God is. Who is the right God? And talking to someone like me, who is basically an agnostic, because I feel the same way about God as I feel about aliens. This is such a big universe. There has to be something out there that made us. But I'm not subscribing to the notion that there's this guy who was written down in the books, who is the creator of, of us all. And I just don't like that version. I do believe there's something. Sure. But I don't believe in the things that are out there. Well, so that's, you and your personal experiences, how would you describe that to someone like me? Well, Mary Magdalene comes to me, and, and Mother Mary comes to me as spiritual beings with no religious dogma or doctrine. Mm -hmm. They are not associated, when they come to me, they are not associated with any religion. And Mary Magdalene's message is only love is real only love and if you and it even it, it can even be refined you know uh, from there but to keep this simple you know only love is real there is no quote-unquote god there's a source energy that enlivens everything and everyone you know we know we now know from quantum physics that you know a rock is alive you know a rock vibrates right? yes uh, you sure. know you and i vibrate you know we have an energy to us um and so that's my answer to you is that you know 
Mary, all throughout Mary Magdalene's poetry, you know, uh, she doesn't talk to any any religion. It's only love. Only love is real. The love is an energy. So how were you introduced to her? Like, how did this happen? Like, how was that link first made with Mary Magdalene? Well, when I was seven years old or. Yeah, like, how did you know that this was a link and how did this happen, this relationship? Well, that's when. Um, well, when I was seven years old and I had that experience in Nogales, that was Mary Magdalene. I didn't know it at the time. Okay. Uh, and this is how your angels work, because remember, when you start listening to your heart, the ego ramps up. Because the ego's main job is to keep you out of your heart. And so when you start just the simple act of being aware that, you know, your angels talk to you through your heart, you know, the ego's going to, uh, you know, ramp things up. And um, so doubts and fears set in. And this is what happened. Um, well, I'm going to answer your question, <laughs> but uh, I got <laughs> I, I to Set this, set it up for you. Um, Mary Magdalene began transmitting the, her poetry to me in December 2012. In April, so about uh, four months later, I started having serious doubts. Now, look, from December to April, every morning she's getting me up and dictating this poetry every morning. And ego starts creating this doubt, this serious doubt, you know, uh, oh, you know, these can't be coming from her. People are going to think I'm crazy. You know, come on, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and so one morning I just, uh, I, I gave her an ultimatum, you know. <laughs> I say, I want a burning bush. I want proof that these are coming to you that are proof that is irrefutable, not, you know, some hazy picture, uh, you know, I said, no, I want something in concrete nobody can argue about. And, you know, a day went by and nothing happened. Right? <laughs> a week went by, nothing happened. <laughs> a month went by, nothing happened. But the poems keep coming every morning, so I kind of forget about my demand. So this is in April when I made the demand. In July, so April, May, June, three months later, Oh, well, let me back up just a little bit. In December 2012, when these first started, she first started dictating this, uh, I asked her, I said, do you mind if I call you Maggie? And because I was thinking about calling these uh, love notes from Maggie. And uh, I said, do you mind if I call you Maggie? I said, I know Maggie's not a nickname for Magdalena. But it's kind of similar, and I really like the name. And uh, she said, no, you can call me Maggie. So, okay, so in July, right, she asked me to uh, start publishing these. So I'm thinking, okay, if I'm going to publish these, I better get some, some reviews on them. So I didn't want to go to my friends because, you know, I wanted honest reviews, right? 
<laughs> and, <laughs> right. So I go to this website that has thousands of people on it that provide different services like uh, video production and uh, uh, voiceovers and things like that. And anyway, uh, there's so many people, I, you know, I just start going through the pictures of people. Mm. And, you know, I'm just really fast going through pictures. And I don't know how many I went through, but finally I land on this picture of this woman. And I looked down and her name is Angelina. And she provided a service, but not a book review or anything. Sure. But uh, Maggie, Maggie told me to contact her. And uh, so I sent her an email. And all I told her at the time, I just said, I have some poems. I'll pay you for your time to read them. If you're inclined to give me a review, great. If not, that's great too. I'm not going to pay you for a review. I'll pay you for your time to read the poems and you, you decide. And that's all I said to her. I didn't tell her anything about Mary Magdalene or anything like that. Anyway, she writes back and she says, well, no, that's, that's not what I do. <laughs> so... You would think I would go on, but Maggie said, no, stay with her. <laughs> so we went back and forth for two or three days. And finally, uh, Angelina says, okay, send me some poems. So, <laughs> I think just to get me out of her hair. And so this time when I send her the poems, I tell her the story about Mary Magdalene and me calling her Maggie because I'm calling these love, love notes from Maggie. So the next day, she writes back to me and she goes, Joseph, I have to tell you this. She says, I love these poems, but I have to tell you this. And she what says, you're, you're not going to believe me. So I'll send you proof later. She said, but my name is Angelina because that's the name my father wanted to name me. Are you kidding me? But when I was born, in Greece, when I was born, my mother wanted to name me Mary Magdalena, and that is my legal name. Are and you when I, fucking kidding I was me? growing up in Greece, and when I was growing up in Greece, one of my best friends one day called me Maggie, and I loved it. And from that point on, all my best friends called me Maggie. And I said, now, wait a minute. Maggie's not a nickname for Magdalena, is it? I thought maybe in that part of the world it is. She said, no, it's not. But one of my friends just called me Maggie out of the blue, and I loved it. So mm. here was my burning bush. Oof. Out of thousands of people I could have picked, and she originally declined, and I kept at her. And then she sent me a copy of her passport to prove yeah that her name is Mary Magdalena and her last name. So that Mary was, is her first name, Magdalena is her middle name and then her last name. So that was my burning bush. But that's how your angels work when you're receptive. Um, did you did you feel anything inside of you as far as like a, a, a change? Because I mean, like this is a pretty hefty change in your life when you don't understand what angels are and now all of a sudden you acknowledge well, the existence of them well the big your mindset the big change was when i was seven years old that when i felt that energy go through me that was the biggest change um uh feeling wise but 
I want to explain that to you too. Uh, and I want to emphasize to your listeners about your ego. You would think that after getting this burning bush, right, that I would never have any doubts again, but that's not how ego works. Ego will constantly try and keep you out of your heart. So a few months later, I'm getting some doubts again. Not like originally, but, you know, just a little bit of doubt. And now the first time I made a demand, but now whenever uh, doubt starts creeping in, Maggie just answers, answers it. So this time I'm having a little bit of doubt, right? And just out of the blue, one morning she goes, look up Carlos Constantino. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. Carlos Constantino? <laughs> and for your listeners who don't know Carlos, back in the 60s, Carlos was an anthropology major at UCLA. And he went out into the desert and he became a student of the, uh, this uh, Yaqui shaman called uh, Don Juan. And so he wrote his doctoral thesis uh, about his experiences with Don Juan. But a lot of people said that it was all made up. None of it was true. And Don Juan was a fictional character. And, and uh, Carlos, at during that time in the 60s would refute that and say no the first time I met Don Juan was at the uh, Greyhound bus station in Nogales, Arizona yeah. and people said oh you're making that up you know and this and that well anyway so I'm having these stats right and out of Blue Magazine says, look up Carlos so I Google Carlos and I'm you know, I'm going through the thing and, and I'm reading stuff and, and stuff that I already know, right? And then over in the sidebar, it catches my eye. In the sidebar, there's this uh, title that says, uh, I was witness to Carlos Constantinidis meeting with Don Juan at the Nogales bus station. I thought, well, that's interesting because that's really controversial. And I, I hadn't read anything about that, so I clicked on it. And it's this story about this guy who was traveling in Mexico. He knew Carlos Cantaneda, but he was traveling alone in Mexico. And he was heading back to the United States. And he was about to, to cross into Nogales, Arizona, and he got sick. And so instead of crossing over sick, he decided to stay in this little town. So when you start having these doubts, you know, the, the whole, uh, and she directs me to the story about uh, Nogales, uh, the point of this author uh, was trying to make was that if he had not gotten sick, uh, he would have missed the meeting between Don Juan and Carlos in, at the uh, Greyhound station in Nogales, Arizona. So that was his point. So because he had gotten sick, and waited a few days to cross over. When he did cross over, he saw Carlos and Don Juan at their meeting. Well, the name of the town that he recuperated in, right across the border from Nogales, Arizona, it's a suburb of Nogales, Mexico, the name of the town is Magdalena. So, so that's, that's how your angels work, you know. Uh, she, Maggie gave me that experience when I was a seven, seven-year-old child. Well, I'm sure for other reasons, just, uh, but one of the reasons was because 
your angels know you're going to have doubts when you start listening to your heart. The ego is going to create doubts in your Absolutely. mind. And so they set, set these things up for you, right? So, <laughs> you know, so yeah. that's, that's how, how they work. But, um, uh, so, so what's in it for them, though? Like, what is in it for the angels as far as, like, them picking a sire or someone that they have to choose to believe in them? What is in it for them? Like, what is their goal? Is that their job in the afterlife? Or, like, what happens to them? I think, uh, I, I believe that uh, everybody's here with a purpose. And so I have uh, what I call the trinity of creating a life of meaning, significance, joy, love, and success. And the trinity, meaning there's three aspects to it. The first aspect is your angels. And coming out of of what I call your angel closet and start telling Start sharing your angel stories. There's millions, if not billions of people who have their own personal angel stories. But they're they're intimidated to share them. And so, but once you do start sharing them, that opens up to to being receptive. And that lays the groundwork for healing from past traumas. But it also lays the groundwork for you to discover what your life purpose is or your gift. Now, that's the first part of the Trinity. The second part is sharing your gift with the world. And what the, what the so to break down my book for you, you know, the first part of The Power of Angels, Volume 3, is, is my, some of my stories, which I hope will encourage your listeners to start sharing their stories. Sure. And, then, and then the second part of the book are the, is the poetry from Mary, from Mary Magdalene. And her poetry will help you, uh, like it did me, uh, help me develop the courage to share my gift with the world. That's the second aspect of the Trinity. The third aspect of the Trinity is the doubts and fears. Mm-hmm. Every Everybody has doubts and fears. And so her poetry will help you get through those doubts and fears. And as I, uh, as our relationship developed, I came to understand that, you know, for years I would resist my my doubts and fears. I resist my ego. I battle with it. And when you do that, that's what ego wants. The ego wants you to fight it. Exactly. Because when you, when you fight ego, ego wins. Uh, so through uh, her poetry, through Maggie's poetry, I began to understand that, you know, only love is real. So instead of fighting ego, I just befriended it. So now when a doubt comes in or uh, something negative comes in, I just thank you. I say, I mentally say thank you for reminding me to stay in my heart and listen to my heart. Now people, now, me included. Every when you first start doing this, it's going to be very difficult. You know, is that my ego talking or is that my heart talking? And yeah. it's it's just a process of practice. You know, you just got to start choosing. <laughs> and sometimes you're going to choose ego, and you'll find out. And but it's a process. You got to learn uh, uh, how to choose better. 
uh, and but what helped me was that if it's coming from ego, it's coming from fear. And if it's coming from your heart, it's coming from love. So in other words, you know, if, uh, say, a serial killer says, uh, you know, well, my heart told me to kill these people. Well, yes. excuse me, that wasn't your heart. That was your ego. And, uh, you know, so the ego always comes from love. And because of that, uh, I'm sorry, your heart always comes from love. And because of that, your heart is never going to tell you to hurt yourself or to hurt other people or other things. It's just not going to do it. Well, so if you uh-huh. do things in the heart of God or, or like do things because God told them to, or at least they say they. Well, they, that's just that's just their ego. And they think it's they think it's their heart. And yeah, they're just confused about it. So, uh, you know, uh, the heart will never tell you to hurt anyone or anything. So why would there be such conflict when you're searching for a God who wants you to have complete obedience into his, you know, and into well, all of God? Well, that, that's, that's coming from your ego because that's based on fear. See, that's why, that's why Mary Magdalene and Mary both come to me with no religious dogma or doctrine. Mm-hmm. You know, dogma and doctrine is based on fear. You know. I can now, be now look look I you know I uh, that doesn't mean they're not useful um, yeah. they're stepping stones right so you can be a Catholic and that can be a stepping stone to listening to your angels and you know there's look the, the saints and the mystics uh, most of them were Catholic uh, so you know, they listen um, to their angels, but yeah. they did it in a little different way because they were so structured. Uh, they were so structured, but uh, the way Mary Magdalene comes to me is strictly through love with no religious overtones whatsoever. So what do you think our reaction is as far as people that would say this in a public structure and I talked to their doctor about this, and they would prescribe medication and say, hey, listen, you might have a little something wrong with you here. How would you deal with that? And, like, it's it's a very touchy subject because a person's faith is their own personal belongings. And I would never That's bash right. person's faith. Right. I would never bash that because, like, my thing is, is, like, I don't know. And I have people like you on the show to help me understand what I don't know. And I really do in my in my heart of hearts. I really want there to be a place where you can go and have an afterlife and, and God and everyone else in your family has ever died. Well, welcome you with open arms. Well, it's very hard. You to know, Steve, yeah, Steve Harvey has a great uh, quote. Okay. Now, Steve Harvey is a Christian, right? Sure. And, and he, uh, and he's the first one to admit he's a flawed Christian. Right? <laughs> and, that's what I love about Steve Harvey, right? He's just down to earth. And but, he has a great mustache. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's two. Uh, he keeps it real simple. And that's what Maggie does. She keeps things real simple. Only love is real. That's simple. 
Um, and Steve says, you know, you have not because you ask not. Now, he says, you don't, you don't, you, you have not, you don't have not because of your PTSD. Mm-hmm. That's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say you have not because of past lives. It doesn't say you have not because of uh, uh, your alcoholism. You know, you, yeah. you know, all that stuff is complicated. That's complicated stuff. It's very simple. It says you have not because you ask not. So just start asking. Now, I ask every day in the form of direct prayer and affirmations. So I put my asking, I change my asking into affirmations. And so I try and walk every morning. And when I walk, I just do my affirmations. Well, that's my asking to God or a source, whatever, whatever you want to call it, or my angels. But I, I, I usually just pray directly to source. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, uh, you, you know, it, it's really simple. Your heart is a simple organ, right? And your yeah. your angels have a simple your angels have a simple message, and your angels are messengers from source, right? They're just they're just conduits, just like I'm a conduit for Maggie's poetry, you know. And so, it, just ask. Yeah. Nerd. Yeah. Just ask. If you if you got a question, ask. You know, just ask, but don't get so, hung up. See, I got hung up on the, you know, when I when I demanded, I didn't even ask her, I demanded Maggie to give me a, a burning bush, right? And, yeah. well, I was expecting something the next day, and then it didn't come, so I expected something the next day, it didn't come. You know, and then when I stopped expecting it, it came, right? So ask, I think it's Steve. So, you know, just ask and then stop tripping. That's the way he uses. He says, ask and stop tripping about the answer. You know, just, you know, source will give you the answer uh, when you're ready for it. Um, now, that's the other thing, right? Yeah. You got to be ready for the answer. Because a lot of times the answers come to us and they go right by us. Because mm-hmm. we're not, we're just not aware because we're listening to the chatter. You know, we're yeah. listening to eagles chatter, and and the answer comes right by, right? Or it's lingering there in our heart, you know, waiting, and we never take the time to 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 thank eagle, right, for reminding you to go back into your heart and listen to your heart, you know. And it takes practice. It's not something you just snap Absolutely. your fingers and you start doing. It. You know, it takes practice, but you got to put the practice in, you know. You know, that's, you know, the old joke, you know, a guy's in New York City, right? And he's lost. And uh, he stops this person on the corner. He says, excuse me, can you tell me how to get to Carnegie Hall? And mm-hmm. the guy says, well, sure. sure. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right. So, you know, this all just takes practice. And, and understanding that the doubts and fears are always going to come. Always. They never let up. But when they do come, just thank them. Or you can be like me. Uh, originally, you know, I said, okay, look, you know, give me an answer. Give me a burning bush, you know. But now I don't have to do that. Whenever a doubt starts creeping in, she just gives me an answer. So, you know? 
Let me ask you this question here, because this is a question that I've had burning inside of me for the past 38 years of my life. And my dad was a very devout Christian. He died of MS. He suffered his second half of his life, and he died. In 2007, he passed away. My mom passed away three weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I don't need condolences because, like, I understand, like, people die and they live and they die. And, you know, in certain circumstances, it's a good thing if they're suffering. When they die, it's more of a celebration. So it hurt, but I'm happier that they're passed on. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, so I understand that. But my question to you is this, and this is a question for anyone who has a lot of faith in God and just the, the afterlife and things like that is, why are some people, who are such devout believers in a higher being. And that's when you're supposed to reach that next plane of life where you're supposed to be this protected human being. You're supposed to get paradise and all these other uh, riches and, and, and gifts upon you. But for some reason, the people that believe the most suffer the most when they're alive. And people like me who are skeptics and are like, hey, you know what? I need more proof. I live a healthy life. I just want to understand, like, why do people who really want to believe in a higher being have such a hard time in life? At least in my experiences, that's what I see. I see people that want to believe in God. They're like they're suffering from joint pains or all these other things are happening to them. And they might have health conditions and things like that. And they're suffering. And in my dad's case, he used to send money to all these churches online like Charles Stanley. He was a guy who used to be on TV all the time. I don't know if he still is or not. But he used to send money to these churches and say, you know, believe in God. He's going to take care of you. And then me as as a young individual, I used to see my dad like struggle to walk upstairs. And I remember one time he walked to the corner store and he fell down. And I turned around like, Dad, where are you? And he was laying on his back and he waved at me. And he's like, oh, I'll be fine. He didn't want to tell me that he was sick. Sure. But he was a big believer in God, and me as a grown human being, looking back at these times, I'm saying to myself, if he's a child of God who loves God this much, and he gave his life to God and Jesus Christ and tried to get me to follow my path onto his path of Jesus Christ and God, why did he suffer so much? Why were there no angels watching over him, and why does no one give a crap about people like him? when there's horrible human beings out there living great lives? Well, you know, your angels are always around you, but you've got to be receptive to them. And in situations where people, you know, are devote Christians, Catholics, whatever, um, uh, a lot of that's just based on fear. Yeah. You know, it's based on fear, and that's why Maggie and Mary come to me without any religious dogma or doctrine. Only love is real. That's the universal quote-unquote religion. And uh, some people will argue with that, but that's look, that's okay. I mean, uh, you know, some you know Thomas Jefferson, uh, Thomas Edison would uh, go out. Uh, on the lake behind his home in in Florida, and uh, with his fishing pole, and and one day uh, the neighbor boy asked him. He said, "Mr. Edison, you always go out and fish, but you never bring back any fish." And he said, "Well, he said, well, I'm not fishing for those fish. 
I'm fishing for the big ideas. And, you know, it took him over 10,000 um, failures to finally invent the light bulb. But he never looked at any of those as failures. He looked at each one as stepping stones. Now, he'd go out uh, on the lake and he would just ask the question to source, to God, you know, whatever you want to call it. He would just pose the question and he would get an answer. He'd take that answer back to the lab and he did that over 10,000 times. Now, you could say, well, he, you know, he's just he's just giving you a bunch of BS on those answers. Sure. Well, no, if he had given him the the final answer, Edison wasn't capable at the time to implement that so he had to go through all these these baby steps to get there and that's how i people who uh choose religion uh, as their as their path and they still suffer um you know they're just making a choice and i think they're making the choice between fear and love you know um but at the same time, um, you can, what your dad went through, what, how I see that is a stepping stone, all right? He's, I think your dad was looking for his truth, you know? And, uh, and he, he was so, he, he was so locked in that his faith would, provide him that truth that he remained with that faith even though he had all the suffering well you know if you believe in reincarnation and he, if he comes back you know he's going to move from that stepping stone to the next stepping stone if you don't believe in reincarnation well then um you know um he he he, he he made his choices in life based sure. mainly, mainly on fear rather than love, sure. you know. And uh, and there's no right or wrong. That that was just uh, what he chose to do. You, your dad, yeah. I'm sure, was a great guy and a, and he, a he good was man. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and but so it's not wrong what he did. It's just that's what he did. I mean, and that was his beautiful life, and. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no room. See, Maggie's message is only love is real. Sure. Uh, there's no room for judgment. Uh, you know, there's just love. You yeah. know, everybody has, everybody's a teacher, you know. And, I agree. I do. Know, everybody's a teacher. And through your dad's suffering, I'm sure you learned a lot. Oh, yeah. I you do. Know? I know I learned a lot from my dad, um, you know, To I, I learned a lot of things not to do, not to repeat, uh, you know, and and so even though I, I did, did not have a good relationship with my father, I, I learned from him sure. and, and my mother too. And, you know, so again, there's, there's just no, it comes to this thing about remorse. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, uh, psychiatry wants to say, well, you know, if you don't feel remorse about something, uh, you know, so th- there's something wrong with you. But, you know, when you're in the realm of the angels, 
there's no need for remorse. Yes. Because there's no need for blame. Because only love is real. And it's like, uh, you know, your listeners may not agree with this, but, you know, it goes back to the disciples, you know. Mm-hmm. Ju- Judas was the chosen one, right? Well, why was Judas chosen to de- betray the Christ? Well, maybe because he was the only disciple advanced enough to carry it through. How do we know? How do we know? You know, you know, um, Orthodox Christians want to want to blame Judas, you know, and say he was a criminal and all this. Well, no. Wait a minute. Maybe he was the most advanced of the disciples, and that's why Christ chose him. Christ knew everything that was going on, hmm. you know. And so, you know, like sure. Mary, Mag- like Mary Magdalene, right? She yeah. was the first. She was first one to see Christ when he resurrected so she goes back to tell the disciples right and everybody's you know criticizing her well you know there's no way he showed he came to you before he came to us you know you're a woman he wouldn't do that and Levi was the only one aware enough to defend Mary Magdalene and then if you look at the original text when Mary well the gospel of Mary Magdalene you know she she tells you she uses the word hmm. she says she saw Christ with the eye of her heart she did not see Christ with her two physical eyes you know yeah. she saw Christ with that see the original language see she used the term that, that is the term for the eye of the heart that's hmm. how she saw Christ you know, but you know, you you get these uh, people who are literalists who take a Bible that's been translated, you know, how many dozens of times, and then edit it at the at the uh, Constantinople, you know, books taken out and stuff, and and then you have this edited text, and then you have these people. Well, you know, it does as well, you know, uh, you know. <laughs> Say it, that's all complicated stuff, right? Oh yeah, definitely. The, the message is simple: only love is real. Yeah, there's no well, reason to blame or or say my path is the right path and yours isn't. And you know that's that's what, what creates wars and that's what creates crusades, you know, and jihads. Oh yeah. You know, but what wars, people that yeah. find love twice in life? Like, let's say that like I lived a full life, right? Like I'm 40 years old, almost. I'm 38 now. But let's say I hit 40 and God forbid, and I and I'm not a believer, but I'm not a disbeliever in God, but God forbid something happens to her and I have to remarry and I fall in love with her and I and I have a family and shit like that. Right. Okay. Like, who do I end up with in the afterlife? Because it's such a weird thought to even think these things out loud. But like the afterlife is something that people don't understand, but they're so afraid to the point where they will throw away any belief in anything outside of the realm of belief that they will just just wrap their heads around something that they don't understand fully. And it's crazy because like religion is something that's passed down to you from generation to generation. Right. Right. Like I've like I like I was raised as a Christian, but I don't believe in any of it. 
Because I just don't think, and I would like to not believe that a God out there who wants my best interest in me would 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 make me hurt so bad in the life that I have to live that I have to either blindly believe in him without any proof, or if I don't believe in anything that he says, I'm sent to a, a, a purgatory for eternity. Right. It's crazy. Well, well, that's all based on fear. Yeah, uh, you, you used the word, when you just described this, you used the word afraid. Yes. People are, people are scared to death of death. Yes, sir. And, and what Maggie tells, tells us in her poetry is only love is real. You see, there, only love is real. I mean, you can't get much simpler than that. So when your form uh, transmutes into formless, uh, you know, there are there are angels. Um, your departed ones can be angels, sure. but it's not like um, you know. You see, we don't have the syntax to explain a lot of this stuff. Of course not. But it's way above but, our head. But only love is real. So. Yeah. Uh, there is no purgatory. There is no levels of anything. There's no levels. That's a caste system. And if you look at India and its caste system, you know you can see how it's all based on fear. Yeah. And 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 that's why Mother Teresa became a saint, right? Because she exactly. looked beyond that caste system uh, to the point where they wanted to stone her. You know, I mean. Yeah. She risked her life. Uh, and because of that, they make her a saint. Why? Because very few people are able to do that. Well, that's the thing. Um, becoming a saint just means that, she, you know, you've gone beyond that fear. So it, it's a hard question to answer in our syntax. Yeah. You just have to... Once you open your heart, once you become receptive, and you begin listening to your angels, then the awareness evolves. So it's not a matter of asking a question and getting an answer. It's a matter of asking a question to your heart yeah. and waiting for the answer. And I shouldn't even use the word answer. Wait and wait for the awareness. Okay. Ask the question, then wait for the awareness. Because we're all at different stages of awareness. You know, so me talking about what I'm talking about today, somebody in your listening audience may be at an awareness that's just saying, you know, this is crazy. I can, you know, this is, you know, and there'll be other people that tune right into it. In fact, in the front of the book, um, Maggie told me to put um, whoever whoever uh, whoever is attracted to her poetry, sure, uh, they can regard her as their guardian angel. 
So now, now if somebody's not attracted to her poetry, okay, that's fine. But mm -hmm. if somebody is, then they can consider her one of her guardian angels, and that can help them open their heart more and be more receptive. My question to angels is, can they tell who's genuine and who's not? Because the thing is, is like there's a lot of people out there on death row who they had their final meal, they got their final meeting with someone or their final whatever they have. And what they'll do is they'll sit there and they'll pray to God. And it's like, where was God your whole life when you were committing horrible crimes that led you to the place where you are now? My question to you is this. If you're a horrible human being and you say that magic prayer where you accept Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you safe or are you going to hell? Like, these are questions that I have to know the answer to because I'm a skeptic. I really am. But I do like to hear all sides of the spectrum. I want to hear people that believe and disbelieve because that's how I am. What is your well, take? Well, uh, there are no horrible people. Really? Now, that because there is no room for judgment. Now, that's hard for a lot of people to take. But it doesn't. That's only we only label people horrible because of fear. You know, Judas, Judas is, you know, the Christians, the cat, everybody, religion will call Judas a horrible human being. But how do we know that Judas wasn't the most advanced disciple there? And because of that, he was the one chosen to carry out the betrayal, the quote unquote betrayal. It wasn't really a betrayal because Christ knew what was coming. But that that's the storyline, right? Yeah. So, yes, you know, uh, look, when I was in Vietnam. And thank you for your service, by the way. Well, thank, thank you. When I was in Vietnam, before I went to Vietnam, uh, I was in a, um, I graduated from high school, went to Europe uh, Community College. And I met this uh, Mexican woman. Now I had taken three year, uh, three years of Spanish already. Uh, this was in the near the border, San Diego border, and um, and she came across the border every day with her four friends uh, to uh, take classes. She was an art major. I was an anthropology major. So we didn't have any classes together. But, but for some reason, she struck up a friendship with me, and. Uh, her name was Migdalia. Now, I've taken three years of Spanish. I had a lot of Hispanic friends. I had never heard the, the name Migdalia. That was a very uncommon name. But here she is, and she looks like an Aztec princess. I mean, she's, she's she, if she walked into a room, people would stop and look at her. Now, why? Did she befriend me? We didn't have any classes together, but then between classes, we would always spend time together talking and, you know, just hanging out. Sure. Well, well, here, here's what happens. So they're drafting everybody into the Vietnam War, right? So I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to be a grunt in the rice paddy, so I'm going to enlist. So I decided to enlist. And I didn't tell her. And I mean, I was going to tell her, but things kind of happened. Well, anyway, the last time I saw her, I was in the parking lot. 
uh, I had got, got my books out of the car and was walking back to class. And she was uh, leaving uh, with her four friends. And she didn't see me. And she was sitting in the middle uh, of the back seat with a, with a friend on either side of her. But her friend saw me. And her friend tapped her on the arm and whispered something to her. And Magdalia turned completely around and with a smile, this ear-to-ear smile, she just waved to me, saying, saying goodbye for the day because she didn't know I was about to leave. Well, that's the last time I saw her. So I enlist, and uh, I'm in the, uh, the Army security, which uh, were Morse code interceptors. And sure. I get sent to Vietnam. I, I get sent to Vietnam. And I'm in Saigon, you know, waiting for my paperwork to come in to tell me where I'm going to go in the country. And, and everybody knows you're new because you're clean, right? Your fatigues are green. Your boots are clean, right? Uh, so everybody knows you just arrived. And I get my orders and I'm going to play coup, which is in the Central Highlands. So some of my Vietnamese uh, friends asked me, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going to play coup. <laughs> I swear, nerd, every single one of every single one of them said, oh, no, that's the worst place you can go. That place is the most dangerous place in South Vietnam. I said, well, that's where I'm going. So I get to play coup. And the month I, I learned that the month before I got there, uh, they had mortared play coup. They had mortared our unit. And a few of the people in my unit had been killed and quite a few wounded. But for the whole year I was there, from May of 1969 to May of 1970, we never took any enemy fire. And the air base right next to us would take mortar rounds two or three times a week. Now that started irritating us because every time they got mortared, which was like right next door, I just wasn't following our our unit we had to go on higher you know and it started it started to get on our nerves you know so, <laughs> because you know that's an air base we have all these antennas we're we're intercepting all their communications and and you know they know what we're doing why don't they hit us that's how dangerous it became maybe it got we got so complacent that when we went on higher alert we would walk down to the bunkers you know that's how dangerous Oh, it became. I and, can't even imagine. And, but anyway, anyway, so for the whole year I was there, we never took any direct rounds. So it's my time to leave country. So I, I go back to Saigon away from my paperwork. While I'm in Saigon, I get a message that the unit I worked in, we worked in trailers on these big trucks because our everything was highly classified. So if we ever got run over, the trucks could be leaving while we were inside destroying everything. So the truck, the unit that I worked in took a direct hit and three of my friends I worked side by side with were killed. Oh. Now yeah. for the whole, for the whole year I'm there, nothing. Right. So a couple of years ago, I'm having some doubts again. Right. Yeah. Right. After the burning bush incident, I'm I'm having some doubts. So out of the blue, one morning, Maggie says, 
look up Pygdalia. Now, I hadn't thought about Pygdalia for decades. Yeah. But I could never forget that name because it was such an unusual name. And, of course, her beauty just made, you know, she was a person you would not forget. And I said, Magdalia? So I look up Magdalia, and it says flower. I said, yeah, okay, she was like a flower. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the next morning, Maggie says, look up Magdalia. And I go, well, I looked her up. It means flower. And she said, look her up again and use a different source. So I looked her up again. It says Magdalia derivative of Magdalena. So when so when Magdalia turned around that day and smiled at me, it was Mary Magdalene telling me that I was going to be okay in Vietnam. Oh, it's powerful. So it is powerful. That's that's why Huh. When you when you, if you just be open and consider just consider the idea that your angels speak to you through your heart, they're always around you. But it's not a matter of them talking to you. It's a matter of you being receptive to to what they're saying. You know. Sure. Um, but like, how do you so, separate so, the whole being crazy as opposed to being a normal human being? Like, how does this become a mainstream thought process? Well, because by, by more and more people. Well, I believe, I believe there are a million. Sure. So not billions of people have their own personal angel stories, but they're intimidated to share them because just like you said, they'll be labeled uh, crazy. Of course. Or ostracized by their family, you know, but so that's why I'm hoping by sharing my stories, that will encourage your listeners to begin sharing their stories. And when enough people begin sharing their stories, then it will catch on. And so, you know, that famous uh, uh, discovery of the macaque uh, monkeys in Japan. Yes. There, there was a colony of macaque island uh, monkeys on one island that started washing their uh, sweet potatoes in mm -hmm. the sea, yeah, and which they they had never done before, as far as no one ever observed them doing it. And that's when enough of the monkeys started doing it on that one island. The macaque monkeys on another island that had no physical communication mm -hmm. with started doing the same thing. Yeah, so. It's it's not a it's called critical mass. You know, you don't need sure. everybody to believe in angels. You just need a certain percentage of the population, and once a certain percentage begins believing in angels, then it just mushrooms out. Right? Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. But my whole so thing is like, why are why a, are there so many games? What's that? Like, why are there so many games involved? Like, why do you have to live in and, and go through your life with trials and tribulations where you, there comes a moment where you have to choose to believe or not believe. And if you do believe, there's this f finality that you can never get out of. 
But if you don't believe, there's this finality you can't get out of. So it's like wiser has to be this line drawn in the sand. And well, to me, because that's that's how religions control people. Yeah. So like, how does one choose the true religion? Because like, I've talked to people from many different religions, like Christianity, Mormonism. And, and multiple other religions where, like, people have their beliefs as to what this is, what they subscribe to. Like, this is their God. What That's if they okay. die? That's and okay. Not the right person. And they have to deal with a real person who is the real God. What does that God say to them who believes in a fake God the whole time? Like, hey, you're screwed, but you live the good life. But, yeah, you know, well, so you're I don't, I, I don't think it's their God. I think it's their ego. You know, they're listening to fear. And fear comes from ego and like maggie says only love is real you know yeah. maggie's not christian she's not catholic she's not okay. muslim she's just she's just love she's just the energy of love right and she love is powerful can, she can she can appear in different forms like when i was seven years old she was just a feeling of grace flowing through me um when i went into those light regions when i talked to you about yeah. That I stayed in that rapture for five months. Well, yes, when sir. I was when I originally went into those light regions, uh, my guide was taking me, and there was this light uh, beyond uh, that, you know, way beyond where, where these light regions were. And he stopped me, and my guide stopped me. I don't want to say he, but my guide stopped me and said, "You can't go there." I said, "Well, why not? I want to." Yeah. My guy said, no, you'll combust. You can't handle that. You can't yeah. handle that light. And so I stayed in these light regions for about five months. But later, Maggie told me that light was her light. That was the light of Mary Magdalene. So uh, your angels can come to you in different forms. And they can also come to you like they did at the Mission San Luis Rey in semi-physical form. You know? And they can come to you through what I call earth angels. Migdalia, for example, yeah. you know, Migdalia was an earth angel that uh, Maggie sent to me um, because I had to have that connection before I went to Vietnam. Um, Let me you ask know, you, Joseph, <laughs> as far as this whole conversation goes here, because this is something that I really want to know, because... It's it, it's very tough as being someone who wants to believe but can't believe, because I'm an agnostic. Like I said before, I'm halfway on the fence. Like I'm I'm on either side here of the fence. Like I want to believe but I can't believe because of reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So my thing for you is like, do you think that people believe in a higher being in an astral plane or a better place to go? Because of something bad that happened to them, and they just have something so bad that happens to them that they have to believe there's something better. Or is there an honesty in their beliefs that there actually is something out there? Or maybe they can make up like an imaginary friend almost, where Mary Magdalene came to you. Is this something like that, where you needed something so your brain maybe made something up that made you feel comfort in your own life? that you can get through the problem that you were having. Do you think that's the problem of the brain or, or something that happened inside of your own head that maybe got you here to where you are now? Sure. I think, I think ego is um, there, 
earth to protect you, um, but its sole purpose is to keep you out of your heart and unaware okay. of what I call reality. You know, you're, I, I call this physical world that we experience with our five senses duality. Reality is the realm where angels and source exist. And so ego's primary purpose is to keep you out of your heart and unaware of reality. Um, but it's also there to protect you. But see, ego, another name for ego is the trickster, right? Yes. Ego, ego is very, makes complete sense, is very rational in its arguments. You know, in other words, you know, this bad thing happened to you. So look, let's move you into uh, Catholicism, just as an example. Sure. Right. Because there's a lot of things about Catholicism that I, I love, you know, I mean, I love going into old, old churches, you know. Um, so the ego, you know, will convince you that. You know, this is the path uh, that uh, guard you against what happened to you, this evil thing that happened to you. And I went that way in the beginning, yeah. but th that was a stepping stone for me. You know, now the thing is, I wasn't looking for angels. I mean, I, I was I was just open, you know. I was receptive, and uh, and so I believe, like you asked earlier, I wasn't chosen. I just happened to be receptive, and so those things are. There's there's no no need to label those or or. Um, criticize anything it's just that's a stepping stone um, you know I mean why did my three friends get killed and, and I didn't you know yeah. in Vietnam well I, I don't you know I don't know but what I do know is that they just changed into the energy of love now, I look at it as now relatives and mothers and fathers and siblings will say, well, no, he was killed. He died, you know, and that was a terrible loss for them. And you feel that loss. But that doesn't take away the fact that they just transmuted into love energy. You know, it wasn't that they went to heaven or they went to hell. They just transmuted into love energy. Because when you start getting into concepts like heaven and hell, that's, that's all judgment. It's all fear-based. Exactly. You know, it's just based on fear, you know. And fear, fear will never, it's like, you know, if you have a goal and you put your raft in the river, say in the rapids, right, Colorado rapids, right, yeah, sure. and you have this goal, and you have this goal, and you're so fearful that you start paddling upstream because you think your goal is upstream someplace, but that's not how life is. Life, if you look at nature, I live out in the country, 
and I walk in nature every day. If you look at nature, nature is simple, right? So what most people do is they put their raft in the river and they start paddling against the current. Because why? Because we build statues to people who do that, right? Exactly. <laughs> we honor people. We honor people who do that. It's, it's not, it doesn't mean you can't do that and be, quote unquote, successful. But what, what's the alternative? The alternative is to put your paddle in your raft and let the rapids take you downstream. Now, riding the rapids can be pretty scary, right? Life can be that way, ups and downs of life, right? But yeah. you have a choice. You can be fearful and start paddling upstream, or you can be faithful and fearless and put your paddle in the raft and let the current take you downstream. Now, what eagle does, eagle gets you off into the rocks, right? Yeah. When you're going downstream, when you're riding the rapids, right? So that's when you use your paddle to get you off the rocks and back into the rapids, right? You use your you you use your paddle mm -hmm. to get your off eagle's rocks, the obstacles, right? Yeah, and you keep going downstream. But you let you let life, you let source, you you're faithful that you have a purpose in life, and instead of trying to make it happen, you just uh, stay in your heart. And yeah. Wayne Dyer said it one time. He said, "You know, people, you know, find out what their purpose is, and then every day they're asking how, 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 and so." They, they buy this course and how to do this, and they buy that course and how to do that, and this and that, you know, and and they're just, you know, chasing their tail. And Wayne said, you know, stop asking how. Just determine what your goal is. Yeah. And know that source has your back. And then every day start saying yes. So, in other words, instead of every day asking how or getting confused all the time, just listen to your heart. Listen to your yeah. heart. If you don't want to call angels, call it your intuition. Listen to your heart, your intuition, and start saying yes to the intuitive hits that you get. And start, and start riding the rapids downstream by saying yes to the intuitive hits that you get. You know, My and, trust, thing, and trusting that those intuitive hits are going to get you where you're going. Yeah, like my whole thing with this is like my dad, he was a devout follower of God and he he suffered really bad. And my wife, her mom is suffering really bad now. And they're both really big believers in God. And it makes you wonder as a person who's not a believer in God or someone who's not like a devout follower or believer in these guardian angels or what their motivations are or why they come back to us or why they talk to us or whatever. I just want to know, like, why, why, why do we suffer so much if we're supposed to believe in something that's such greater than our being can ever fathom? Why do we have to believe in something after we're suffering through something else through this whole time? Like, why is faith such a good tool? Well, Belief is just uh, fear-based, you know. In other words, when 
when I get caught up in fear, I, I don't question it and I don't try and analyze it because I never understand it. I just thank it. You know, ego appears in many different disguises. It appears as fear, it appears as anger, as hate, uh, you know, all kinds of disguises. So whenever it appears, I just say thank you sure. for reminding me to stay in my heart. And then I just focus on staying in my heart. I don't analyze it. I don't question it. Uh, I don't label it. I just, I just thank it. I befriend it. I thank yeah. it for it keeping me in my heart. And then, and then I just listen to my heart. And I, ju I just listen to it. And the more you listen to your heart, the more aware you become. So it's, it's I guess the answer to that is people uh, form beliefs out of fear. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't believe in uh, uh, any religion. Uh, uh, I mean, my awareness, I understand my awareness at this point is that only love is free. Uh, there is no suffering. Uh, there's nothing to blame, nobody to blame. Sure. Um, you know, but only love is real. That's my awareness. Now, that doesn't mean I I can automatically accept that. You know, I see people suffering. I, I My heart aches every day when I see people suffering. Mine too. You're right. But now, amidst that suffering, I'm also aware that only love is real. So by, you see, if I were just to focus on the suffering, then that would just be fear-based and that would keep me out of my heart. But now I have the awareness that only love is real. So although I see the suffering and I uh, empathize with it, I also stay in my heart about it and know that my by doing that my awareness will evolve and because that you know saying that only love is real you know that's that's putting it so we can understand it you know sure when we go into reality that realm where angels and source exist it's not even love it's just pure energy yeah you know so uh, you know, that's the great dilemma, I think, is, you know, people like us, you, me, and your listeners, you know, we we hurt seeing all the suffering mm -hmm. and we can't, can't do much about it, right? And uh, so, like I said, the more people who uh, begin having the courage to share their angel stories. Once we hit that critical mass, then more and more millions of people will will become aware of their angels, and that that will transform the societies. You know that will transform the suffering. Um, so, how does one choose an angel? 
Because my question to you is this now, because like angels can be anybody, because like as long as you pass away, you, you can become an angel, at least as far as my limited can go. Right. So my thing is this, it's like if anyone can die and become an angel, what qualifications do they have to have before they can deliver guidance to someone else who's still trying to find their purpose in life? Well, I, I don't see... We're trying to answer a question in a limited syntax. Yeah, and that's that my problem. That we just don't have. But uh, I call them angels because uh, that's the term that makes sense to people. That's, a, sure. that's what our syntax allows us to use. Exactly. But in reality, in reality, Mary uh, Maggie came to me when I was seven years old as just pure love flowing through me. Later, she came to me as that light in the distance, just that that light, you know. Uh, then at at the mission, she came to me in semi physical form. So mm -hmm. uh, to say that. Uh, you know, um, you know, Steve Harvey says it so nicely. He says, you know, source uh, works on two things, faith and action. <laughs> faith great. and action. That's I mean, great. he says for every step you take, God takes yeah. multiple steps that you're not even aware of. But he yeah. says, but you got to give God something to work with. And God works with faith and action. And so, you know, every time uh, ego rears its head with me, I thank it for reminding me to stay in my heart. That's action. See, I'm taking action. Sure. Right? That's action. And then for every action I take, that gives God something to work with, you know, or your angels to work with. What You know, but... And every time you do that, uh, your ability to for your awareness to evolve um, you know, becomes greater. So it's not a matter, you know, snapping your fingers and all of a sudden you're enlightened. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't I don't really believe in enlightenment. I, I believe in awareness. You know, uh, you know, I mean. Just the fact that a guru says that you should follow him or her, you know, I mean, that's that's that right there is so fear based, you know. I mean, come I, on, you know, I, you know, and so happy. you know, it's like Steve says, you have not because you ask not. He says you don't have not because of your, because of your PTSD. You don't have not because you don't have a guru. You don't have not because. Uh, you were molested. You know, you have not because you ask not. So just ask, ask, uh, Lord, source, whatever you want to call it, uh, help, me, be, help me become more aware, right? Yeah. Help me become yeah. more aware. Just ask and then be patient with the answer. Because the answer will come. Just just like I couldn't go to that light of Mary Magdalene because I would combust. Yeah. I wasn't ready for that. 
But then she, later she came to me in semi-physical form that I could handle, you know, on an energy energetic level. You know? My whole thing is this, though, is like you can paint all the pretty pictures that you want and you can either believe it or disbelieve it. And that's why I love doing this show. And I love having you on the show to share your personal experiences because people need to hear this stuff. Like people need to have a voice of reason and of and a skeptic because that's how I think the best conversations happen. You have to have a skeptic and a voice of reason or someone who believes in one thing and the other. And you have to have a civilized discussion and choose your own belief as the who you think is right or wrong, right? Well, that's why Maggie says in this, uh, in this, uh, the power of angels, she says, if you are attracted to my poetry, mm -hmm. you can consider me one of your guardian angels. Sure. If you're not, if you're not attracted to my poetry, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. But what happens you know? to people that don't believe in the Mary Magdalene, but they do live those tenets. They're they're great people. They live a very virtuous life. They they respect everybody. They treat people the way that they want to be treated. They're great human beings, and they die, but they don't they, have any personal but, beliefs. What happens to them? But no, see, nothing dies. Okay. I mean, we know from quantum physics now that nothing dies. Yeah, it's all energy. It's all energy, and it's just transmuted into different forms. Okay. And so what Maggie has made me aware of is that when people quote unquote die they're just transmuted into the energy of love okay that's all and they can appear in different forms they can appear as a feeling of peace flowing through you like she did with me when i was seven she can appear to me as this light uh that i wasn't able to to you know, go to, and sh she has appeared to me in, in my physical form, and she appears to me every morning through her poetry. You've dealt with a lot of stuff in your life, and what's like you've dealt with a lot that? personal trauma in your life, right? So, I want to understand this question here, and, and this is something that I feel is very important to our listeners here. So, when things were happening in your life, did you? feel like maybe you might have manifested Mary Magdalene or is this the real deal that came to you and how would you differentiate the two? Like maybe she was like an imaginary friend because like I really do genuinely want to know this because I am a person who was on the fence, literally on the fence about religion. I can go left or right about this whole thing because I want to know if it's real or not. But I want to ask people like you who have personal experiences with this. Is this something that you feel like maybe might have been manifested as like a imaginary friend when you needed them as a kid? Or is this something that's real? Well, it, it's, uh, it's real because I have seen her and I've okay. seen Mary. Right. I have seen them now. When I was seven, and it just spontaneously happened, I didn't know what it was. Uh, uh, I just knew it felt good, so I, I wasn't afraid of it. Um, but that's how she, and and the reason she, uh, the reason she came to me like that, because that's how I 
I could handle it. If I had actually seen her as a seven-year-old, you know, physically, that may have just been too much for me. Yeah. Uh, but, but she came to me. Uh, but then if she would, I, I asked myself, my ego asked the question, okay, she came to you when you were seven. So how come you got molested when you were 11? Why didn't she protect you? Thank you. That's a million dollar question right there. Right. Because whoever molested me was working through his stuff. Okay. And I was a vehicle for him to work through his stuff. Now, I know that's easy for me to say because I was molested. I wasn't, uh, you know, chopped up into pieces and, you know, yeah. or, 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 um, or paralyzed or something, right? Sure. Uh, you know, so sure, you can say, well, that's easy for you to say. Uh, well, okay, but uh, it's just like Judas, you know. Uh, I, I really believe Judas was the most... Well, not as advanced as Mary Magdalene or Mother Mary, but of the of the male disciples, he was the most advanced one, and and because of that, he was chosen to carry out the betrayal, because he 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 knew what the mission was, and he and he was he had the courage to do it. Um, well, you know, again, it comes back to you know, there's no blame. You know, I mean, ego wants to blame everybody and wants to label everyone. Exactly. And, uh, and what this uh, this world is a world of duality. You know, we see suffering, but we also see great things happening. Uh, it's a world of duality, and if you get caught up in that, then you're always at war. You're always at war. Well, you know, look look how as humans we can make all these great discoveries that help mankind. But then look at the uh, genocide in Rwanda, you know, or uh, Hitler and, and the Nazis, you know. So we're, we're constantly at war with, with what we see with our physical eyes. And the message that Maggie has was that she did not see Christ resurrected with her physical eyes. She saw him with the, with the single eye of her heart. And, you know, the Bible says, you know, uh, with thy single eye, if, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. Well, everyone's interpreted that as the eye, as this uh, area between your two eyes. But that's, that's not what they're, they're talking about, the single eye of your heart. Yeah. See? Exactly. And so... It, it's it's you know I I feel the suffering, especially children's suffering. Oh, uh, you know, it just tears welcome. my heart apart. Same. But 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 the way, but that's duality, yeah. and and the way to end the war with duality, with what your physical. I see and what the eye of your heart sees is to thank duality 
for reminding you to stay in your heart and to focus there. And uh, like Wayne Dyer says, you know, stop chasing after success. Just stop chasing after it. It says, you know, Steve Harvey says, your gift will make room for you. You know, he says, it doesn't say uh, your uh, education will make room for you. It doesn't say your passion will make room for you. Uh, it doesn't say your marketing strategy will work for you. Uh, it doesn't say your contacts will work for you. It says your gift will work for you, will, will make room for you will make room for you. So if you surrender to your gift, in other words, if you put your paddle in the raft and let the rapids take you downstream, if you surrender to your gift, then that source energy, God, your angels, whatever you want to call it, will be the wind at your back. And those are the kinds right? of angels keep. Right? And then... But you see, we get so caught up. Well, okay, there's children suffering over here, so we, you know, there's got to be a solution, and and we got to fight. You know, Mother Teresa said, said if you ask me to attend an anti-war rally, I will not attend it. Hmm. But if you ask me to attend a peace rally, I'll be there. Yeah, because work. it's not about being against something. In other words, it's not about it's not about being against uh, child hunger. It's about being for your heart and your awareness in your heart. And as more and more people become more and more aware and you hit that critical mass, then it changes the whole world. Now, Joseph, where can people become more enlightened and where can more people follow your tenets and your just your vision of life? Because I feel like your vision of life is way important to the fact that people need to follow these things. And we're in such a negative time right now where I feel like your message is extremely important, even though I'm not a believer in God, you know. That's just something well, we have to well, agree, I, disagree on. I have a website. It's uh, JMM Love. Dot com and uh, I I published uh, I published books I have forty five books published on Amazon some of them are published under the pen name of Joseph some are published under the pen name of J M M Love uh, mm -hmm. that uh, the J stands for Joseph M M stands for Mary Magdalene and Love represents the, her message of unconditional love so J M M Love so that's my website J M M Love dot com uh, if they want to get the, the book we were talking about today, The Power of Angels, Volume 3. Oh, yeah. Volume 3. The best, yeah, the best way to find that on Amazon is to go to Amazon in the search bar and type in The Power of Angels, Volume 3. Make sure you put Volume 3 because angels is a real uh, uh, popular subject. So <laughs> if, you put in, if you put in The Power of Angels, Volume 3, then it will come right up. And, well, and don't it's, worry. It's in, it's in digital. It's an ebook and paperback form. Yeah, don't worry because we will post the links in in the description of this podcast. So make sure you send the links up here, and we will post them as they get booked. And I'm sure yeah. people buy this thing. And and, and uh, I just like to say, there that if if anybody, 
you know, starting to share your angels, angel stories can sure. be pretty intimidating. So if anybody would, would like to start sharing them with me and feel, and feel safe to do it with me to, to start, uh, they can reach me at joseph at jmmlove.com. That's my email. And okay. I'd love to, to hear people's angel stories. And, you know, if I can encourage people to come out of their, what I call their angel closet, right, and start <laughs> doing this again. That will lay the groundwork for their healing, uh, help them discover yes, sir. their their life purpose, their gift. And then the poetry will help um, give them the courage to sh- start sharing their gift and to deal with the doubt. Do you mind if I ask you one last question here in closing? Uh, not at all. Okay, because like my mom just passed away a couple months uh, or a couple weeks ago. My dad passed away in 2007. So my question to you is this, because like I've never gotten a visit from them. And I love them with all my heart, obviously. Like I've never had a problem with them. I've always loved my parents. Why haven't they come to me to visit? Is there a way that I can open my mind for them to come in? Is it just want to see me or what? Remember, your angels are always around you. It's not a matter of them coming to you. They're here. It's a matter of each of us becoming receptive, right? So, in other words, when I was in Vietnam, classic example, right? Uh, sure. We would listen to the uh, the headquarters in Hanoi communicate with the guerrilla units in the south. So we would intercept those messages, and. Uh, but then sometimes the guerrilla unit would come under fire and he'd have to uh, go off. And so I'm sitting there, you know, uh, listening to headquarters, but the guerrilla unit's not hearing a thing, right? Sure. So maybe a half, half hour later, he comes back up, but he's on a different frequency. Well, you know, headquarters has to search for that frequency and I have to search for it. So who's going to find it first, right? Exactly. So, so I'm searching away, and and you know when you work with these guys, you know what they sound like. So, uh, you know you're working through different different uh, guerrilla units, and and you find your guy, and but you see, if I had stayed on my other frequency, I never would have heard him. And, and remember, everything's energy. Okay. So if you're not if you're not hearing something, you're not on the same frequency. So, and the matter of being on the same frequency is just a matter of being receptive, right? Yeah. And and that and that can take time, like I said. So it's how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Well, it's not you know go down Fifth Avenue or you know no. It's practice, practice, practice. So you just have to practice. So. When a doubt comes in or, you know, when you're listening to the chatter in your head, just, you know, take the time to say thank you and drop into your heart and spend a few minutes in your heart. You know, when you go go to bed at night, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, thank the chatter in your head for reminding you to be in your heart as you fall asleep. And when you wake up in the morning, you know, you know what? Wayne Dyer said, you know, stop chasing after your dreams. He, yeah. said, he said, just 
stay in a state of readiness and gratitude. In other words, so your goal right now mm-hmm. is to be receptive. So yeah. instead, instead of chasing after that, every day just stay in a state of readiness and gratitude. Gratitude for your ego and for the chatter in your head for reminding you to stay in your heart, right? And readiness, expecting, expecting your angels to to show up, right? I mean, they're there. They're already there. They've already shown oh, up. Sure. But expe- maybe I should say expect expect your heart to open. Mm-hmm. Uh, to open more so it's receptive to your angels or whatever you want to term you want to use your intuition whatever it doesn't matter i just say angels because i've seen mine you know but uh so it's just a matter of instead of chasing after receptivity just stay in a state of readiness and gratitude right and then uh-huh. it will ha- it will happen on their time, See? Mm-hmm. not on our time. Never happens on our time. Never. You know, like when I was having that doubt, and I demanded Maggie to give me a burning bush. You know, and I expected <laughs> it to happen the next day, yeah. right? Exactly. Well, it happened happened three months later, right? <laughs> right. So, and that's you know. I'll tell you. What. Joseph, this has been a very eye-opening experience for a lot of people out there. And the people who listen to this show, I mean, like, we have very open minds because, like, I have an open mind. And I don't disbelieve. I don't believe. I just have questions. And my thing is, is, like, I'm 38 years old. I could die tomorrow. I could die in 10 years mm-hmm. from now. Right. I just don't want to chase a dream that will never become reality. And I know, like... There's some people out there that just give their lives to God and Jesus Christ and everything else out there, you know, under the sun, and they may die. And at that moment, they may just never see anything else, and that's it. So they may have chased nothing for no reason. Well, you know, there, there, there's a reason, uh, but it's between them and yeah. Source. It's scary. It's between and their God, you know, it's and it's. And it's, uh, but remember, Steve Harvey, you know, his dream to be on TV started when he was like 10 years old, right? And he he announced it to the class and his teacher just ridiculed him in front of class. And he didn't get on TV until he was 38. Yeah. You know, he was homeless living out of his car for three years. But he had a great mustache. Right. But I mean, his dream started at age ten. It didn't. It didn't materialize till he was thirty-eight. Exactly. So, so it's uh, just, uh, like Wayne says: just stay in a state of readiness and gratitude. So, in closing, here, where can people find you? Where can they find your books? Where can they find everything, Mister Joseph Holmes? Right at my website, jmmlove.com. And uh, for the book, Amazon's put in the search box, The Power of Angels, Volume 3. And Power of Angels, Volume 3. I can't wait to get this myself because yeah. this is going to be good. Thanks. And again, it's an ebook and paperback. So whichever format you like. 
Oh my goodness. I can't wait to read this because I am, I, I have so many questions. And the thing is, is like, you know, you, you don't know what's real. Like no one knows. And that's the grand question. No one knows when you die. No one knows the answer. People say well, that they died and came back, but no one really knows. Well, after you read the book and, uh, um, maybe we can do this again down the road. Oh, you know, absolutely. Kind of take it even deeper. You know? Oh, please do. Because I'm, I'm growing every day, too. And so. Oh, absolutely. Well, thanks. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, this is a great show. And Thank you. Uh, if this is your calling, you uh, keep doing it. Uh, Thank you, it's sir. Just, it's just part of bringing up everybody's awareness. Uh, or I shouldn't say bring up, you know, that that indicates some kind of level. It expand. <laughs> your your show is helping expand awareness. And, That's all I'm trying to do here. It's yeah. just ask questions, have answers, and just have a conversation with people that are experts in their field. And I'm very appreciative that you came on to share your expertise and your personal experiences. And I guarantee you this. After I read the book, we're going to have another go around here. And we're going to do this again. I, I, I promise Good. you. I look forward to it. I really, I've been on a lot of interviews and uh, th I enjoyed this, uh, this, this, this one I've enjoyed the most, I have to say. Oh, you say that to all the girls. No, <laughs> no, no, seriously. You're a great host. Uh, Thank you. I, I can, I can feel your, your sincerity. Uh, Thank you, sir. I, I really yeah. do appreciate you because it's there. My curiosity is real. And, uh, I don't have people on the show unless I really have a genuine curiosity as to how they approach their lives, how they live their lives, and how they would recommend other people live their lives. And mm -hmm. this is a learning experience. I mean, like, we're all here for a reason. We're all here to learn and grow from yep. each other. So yep. I feel like that's very important. And I appreciate you for sharing your experiences and, and everything that you lived through. And I really want to do this again. So I want you Great. to stay in touch with me. And we'll do this again. Great. Sounds good. Thank you, Mr. Oh. Joseph. Holmes. All right. Talk to you again. Voice of Misery podcast, Joseph Holmes. I love you guys, and please check out all his links at the bottom of the podcast here. They will all be there, and you guys have a good night, and thank you.